I'm Danielle Houston. I'm the host of the podcast, The Checkup. And I have with me again today, Wade Larson. Now he's a thought leader. He's a teacher. He's an author. He's also an HR leader. And if you remember back in June, he joined us to talk about his new book, HR Transformation. And if you'd like to read it, I do still have some copies I would be happy to share with you. I asked him to come back to share some of his thoughts. And he talks to a lot of different organizations in a lot of these spaces where he teaches and speaks and travels. So I really love his perspective, and I think you will appreciate his perspective too when it comes to the big question, what do we think 2022 is going to look like in this space of people? So Wade, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be back. Appreciate it. (laughs) From the warm, cozy place of Eastern Washington, I think you're dialing in. (sighs) Got got my sweater on. Good. Me too. Me too. Um, Welcome back. I'm so glad you can join us. And as I am asking all of my guests who are joining this year, because I think it's important to spread optimism, Mm -hmm. what are you hopeful for? You know, I am hopeful that we catch on that. the future depends on us. You know, we have got to figure out our own attitudes on this. Uh, I, re- I recall, you know, when this pandemic started and we were oh, probably a couple of months into the, we'll call it the shutdown, right? And and I remember a, a newspaper gave me a call, the local newspaper called me and they, and uh, if you remember back then, it's like, oh my goodness, can we make it through another month or another two months? Because there's no way that we can economically survive this if we're shut down for a, a, another month or two. And, and he asks me, so uh, what do you think, Wade? Do you think this, this is going to last um, beyond May? Because, you know, the news is, you know, it's always about the crisis. It's always creating the crisis. And, and I said, uh, yes, it's, it's a pandemic. Um, so, so you think it's going to go beyond May? I said, yeah, well, how long do you think it's going to last? Like, like if we're through this in 18 to 24 months, then I'm going to call us lucky. It's a, it's a pandemic. So it's going to be longer than two months. Yes, it is. You know, I'm, I'm looking back. I'm like, look, we got to remember history, right? The last pandemic was, you know, it was four years before people were sitting next to each other in church and and uh, and feeling good about it. And, and, you know, what's the lesson learned? The lesson learned is that stuff's going to happen. It's a pandemic today. What's going to be tomorrow? You know, the economy, this, I mean, we got to choose our attitudes because uh, even though we may have some global things going on today, every single person has stuff going on in their lives. And we've got to recognize that stuff happens. Stuff is happening in good times, bad times. We have stuff going on every single day. We have family crises. We have individual crises, personal crises, financial, emotional, family. I mean, we don't know what's going on in in everybody's lives. And all we can do is control what we can control. And that's it. That's got to be your life motto. When, when, When we have four kids under the age of five, you know, that we raised, I mean, that's what we had to figure out. And so 2022, that's, that's what we figured out, hopefully figured out over the last two years, control what you can control and uh, have a good year because there's plenty to be, to, to be happy about. Yeah. Make the decision, right? Choose the attitude. And I love 
you know, the, the commentary too about looking back at history. I don't think we always do a very good job of mm. looking backward and not for the sake of getting stuck backwards, but I always think there's a lot of hope when you look back and you remember there really isn't anything new under the sun, right? Um, details change, timelines are different, certain things are a little bit different, but we have our society, our culture, our world has survived these things. And we have come out on the other side, changed, but we have come out on the other side. Wow. I call it a people calculus, right? Uh, <laughs> because I, I, I had a, a pro, I submitted a proposal the other day, you know, for a, for a client and, and they said, how did you get this information? I said, well, what information, you know, how, how did you predict this information? Cause you know, we, we didn't share this information with you. I said, well, I just, if I took a look at your organization, you know, did a little homework on your organization and projected out if I were in your situation, here's what I'm guessing are some of your challenges. I thought, well, this is too close to be, to be right. I'm like, like it's a people calculus, you know, it's, it's a, I, I don't want to say it's that hard because every situation is unique, but you know, it's, we only have so many personalities with so many situations with so many con conditions, you mix them together and it's a people calculus. But to your point, you know, uh, there's a reason why the windshield is larger than the rearview mirror, right? <laughs> it, it, it's good to, to know what's behind us so we can learn from it, but we've got to look ahead and apply the learning and, uh, but, but be, be aware of our past so we can learn from it and not have to make those same mistakes again. Yeah. Well, so when you look back in that little rear view and you are learning from what has happened, what do you think is likely to occur in the road ahead? Oh, you know, that depends on how we apply learning because uh, we have a long history of, um, of being the, the best of the best and the dumbest. <laughs> um, we will ignore history. Ouch. It is. True, it, but ouch. Uh, it, it is. You know, Dar Darwin figured that part out really, really quick. Um, yeah. we, we have a long history of having the best, uh, you know, uh, times where we've come together and shown our finest moments. Uh, you know, uh, you have some examples where NASA has done their best, right? Where we've overcome some some obstacles and really proven, you know, we have some great historic, you know, some, some heroic moments um, in, in times of need. Uh, but also as humanity, we've, uh, we've just ignored the signals in the past and we've decided to ignore them. And we have some huge opportunities as we look through 2022 and into the, into the next decade where uh, the signs are here. And, uh, and we have some things that have happened uh, looking ahead with the workforce. And there are a lot of people saying, oh my goodness, how did this happen? And for those of us paying attention, we're like, We've known for a long time that some of these things have, have been coming and uh, we've been warning about it. And here it is. And uh, others are saying, how'd this happen? My goodness. Um, so it's up to us to decide here we are. We can't change the past. We can only figure out how we're going to respond in the future. And that's up to us to decide, are we going to play it smart or are we going to keep playing the games? Yeah. Do you think it's fair to say with some of these things that were predicted, COVID helped push the timeline up? a bit? It exacerbated the impact. Um, but, but as for the impact itself, no, uh, it, it, these things were so, you know, when I got into the game, you know, uh, I was back in there, back in the early nineties, 
uh, for example, you know, I saw, um, I remember seeing a report and I'll be darned, I'm trying to find this thing, but I remember seeing a report, a projection from the Department of Labor, you know, that said, look, here's a 30 year projection on labor supply. And I had no idea how they're making their estimate, right? On 30 years out, like, yeah, right. But uh, they, they were spot on, you know, and having in hindsight, retros- in retrospect, 30 years, right? And they said, all right, so this was, this was a report from 1990, and they projected out to, to, uh, to 2020. And you know what? I'll be darned. They, they, they were spot on. And in 2020, they had a plummet. They had a plummet of labor supply. They said, you're going to have a, you're going to have a critical mass. And so, you know, I'm in the early, early nineties, kind of like, I can project out 30 years and say, yeah, right. But uh, boom, here we are. But what couldn't they see? They didn't see that we were going to stop getting married and having babies in the nineties. They didn't see that we we're going to shut off the borders for the last five years. Right. They didn't see that, that uh, people were, you know, within five years of retirement, we're going to leave the workforce or that 1.5 million moms were going to, you know, leave the workforce because they can't find or afford work um, daycare or that 2 million people were going to leave the workforce to, to go take up the gig economy. They didn't see that, but here we are. Here we are. Uh, a whole culmination of things that, you know, in the 90s, could we have imagined that, you know, we would have some of these conveniences too of, you know, groceries delivered to your door and not having to leave to go to a store, but that it would create all these jobs for people to work when they want, how they want. And, you know, that seems like it's really been a big factor of change for employers as more and more people are demanding to work on their own terms. Mm-hmm. What do you think that means really though? I mean, take it in the short run in the next two years. Uh, what does that mean for labor? And, you know, you, you hire for, for your organization. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts, big and small. Yeah, you know, uh, in the past, whenever we've had these labor, you know, labor challenges, uh, we've always gone through cycles. And so, as uh, you know, as as a um, um, as a uh, teacher of 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 these cycles, right, you always see the cycles will come and go. And so, leaders will sit back and they'll say, "Okay, that's fine. We have labor challenges today. All we have to do is sit back, and we'll get through this. And in a couple of years, we're going to have a glut of labor available." So. Let's not be too crazy about increasing wages. Uh, let's not be too crazy about hiring too many people because uh, we'll get what we need today. And all we have to do is wait this thing out because we know that based on this cycle and this cycle has been consistent for the last 120 years of modern, uh, of, of modern economics. Uh, wait a couple of years, we'll get through this. We're gonna have a, la- we'll have a labor supply glut. We know this. Um, and so that's what they're using as the basis for their for their calculations. That's based on all things being equal. Well, here's what's happening is that because of where we're at today, the rules are different. They are completely different. And, and so we have leaders and managers who are using the old rules to make the current decisions. And you know, we're sitting back here going like, guys, the rules have changed. And they're like, no, they haven't. Like, you know, I, we got our MBAs. We've been doing this, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. You don't know what you're talking about, consultants, because like, you know, you guys don't know anything, right? Okay, whatever. But the rules have changed. And what's changed? Well, let's take a look at what's changed. Uh, There is no labor supply. Like there's not a labor supply. Um, 
we go out into the marketplace and before it was, well, where did the labor go to? And they, were, they, they would shift and go into different places. Pockets go back and forth. Right now, there is no labor supply, period, end of story. We're talking bodies. But here's what's critical about it. It's not just the bodies, it's the talent too. So, we're, and so it creates this uh, exacerbating effect. So if you, if you think about total units of volume, <laughs> we're not just talking about bodies in terms of number, but we're also talking about the other component too. We're talking about the, the y-axis, which is talent, the knowledge base, knowledge and skills capabilities. That's not there either. And so even if we had the bodies, we don't have people there. This past year, we had 1 million students fewer in the classroom than we've ever had before. That was a NPR report was two weeks ago. One, I mean, we knew we had fewer people, but 1 million students fewer in the classroom than before. Now, um, this, is also a, this is also a trend that is contrary to normal. When the economy goes down, enrollment goes up all the time. That is a pure cycle we could count on, and it didn't happen this time. The Do you think it's going to happen? Mm, Nope. No. Okay. Unless there's an unless there's an economic crash, which hey, anything's open, right? Right. Unless there's an economic crash, I don't think it's going to happen. The classrooms are empty at the community colleges. The universities are healthy, right? The four-year degrees, the engineering degrees, the business degrees, those are all healthy. The trades, no. Machinists, welders, those classrooms are empty. Plumbers, electricians, journeymen, apprenticeship programs. Those classrooms are empty. And when you go to the high schools and say, all right, uh, what's the lineup for the kids going into those programs? Uh, it's empty. Uh, They're few and far between. So we're having a bugger of a time trying to get people in, interested in those. So where am I going with that? <laughs> um, this time around, it's different because the employers, especially in the trades, I mean, healthcare is the same situation. You talk about, uh, I've uh, talked to folks who are in um, uh, law enforcement. You know, the, the prisons, prison guards, not only are they low on enrollment, but they've got an image issue. Right. <laughs> they have a branding issue, especially from the last two years. Yeah. And a burnout issue. Right. I mean, I, I think and that would be very much the case in healthcare as well. They're running the healthcare, and you know, take a look at prisons. I mean, I talked to a guy just yesterday. They're running them because of the, um, the, the uh, I mean, these, they have to staff these folks, but they are running these prison guards uh, double shifts, 16 hour shifts every other day. And, uh, you know, sure, they're making overtime, but they're getting burnt out and they will quit if they don't die. Uh, so, not only do we have a labor supply of the future, we can't fill the jobs, but we're burning out the current supply and there's no end in sight. So, um, you know, the predictions, yeah, I, I, we could choose our attitudes on this and I want to, but we've got to come up with some different ways to do the work. We have to think differently about how we do the work. So when we start thinking about process automation, we start thinking about, um, you know, what we've done all the way. It's not just about doing things and more of it faster. You know, it's like, okay, we just need more people to do it faster. We need to completely rethink how we do work so that we can take the bodies that we have, optimize their performance, and figure out how we're going to supplement that with technology. Before we were, we were talking about using technology to replace workers so that we can reduce costs, do whatever. 
Now we're talking about using that technology so that we can keep the workers that we have to keep the doors open. Okay, well, in choosing our attitude, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. choosing the attitude means we full on acknowledge the reality of where we are and then make some decisions about how we move forward, right? And when I've been in tough places in my life where I didn't like my current situation, sometimes the mantra was just keep moving, just do the next right thing. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the next right thing? So uh, the, the acceptance, you know, the, uh, the first step to recovery is to admit that you have a problem, right? We have a problem. Uh, and that's, and, and as employers, we, we have to, we have to acknowledge that and accept that. And, and, uh, I'm facing that with a few, a uh, few clients right now is that uh, they're saying, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? I'm saying, all right, let's take a step back. First thing we have to acknowledge that we have a different work group than you've had before. And while I've been saying this for a few years, they're like, mm, yeah, but this is how it's always worked for the last, you know, decades. So I recognize that. And some of these challenges are they've made so much money year after year that they've never needed to acknowledge that they need to do something different. And now they're at the point where I'm saying, like, seriously, if you don't acknowledge that you have a different workforce that has different needs, if you don't change now, you're going to have a problem. Uh, and that's just it. This, this standard of we're going to keep doing what we've always been doing because it's always worked. Well, I have to ask the question, what are your metrics? If your metrics are profits, you know, and then delineation, revenues are not profits, right? right. Yeah. If, if, you're, if you are profitable and if that's your primary metric, you need to evaluate where the, where the metrics are, what goes into the profits and where is it coming from? If the profits are the only metric you're looking at, you need to dig deeper. Uh, because if that's it, that's going to change. It will shift. If what's driving the profits are your people, which it is, then you need to take care of that and figure out what's going on with your people. The people have changed. Yes. What goes into performance has changed. Your people's needs are different. This whole concept of work-life balance is completely different. And it's shifted over the last four years. It's different. Um, work and life are completely integrated. You can't just leave it at the front door. Uh, we, we spend more waking hours at work than we do anywhere else in our, in our life. And so this whole concept of, hey, turn the cell phone off. You can't uh, do social media at work. You can't text at work. You can't do all this stuff at work. Well, work is life and life is work. Um, Blurry lines, right? It is. If, if, I don't know if you say, I know this is backwards here, but uh, this book, well, Well-Being at Work. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen this book. I have not seen that. Best 20 bucks that. you're going to spend. Okay? okay. This is the best 20 bucks you're going to spend on a book. Um, that's been published in the past 12 months. Okay. Okay. Uh, man, with how many times I've, I've been promoting this, I've got to make a buck off of these promotions. Okay. Gallup? You always, you always add to my reading list too. I just want to put I know, that out right? there. <laughs> okay. So like with how thick this is, the first half is really what you're reading is the second half is just stuff. So you only have to read the first half. That's the good. Perfect. Thing. I like that. Well, answer me this. Do you think higher wages is enough? No. It, it, but it's a must. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a must. That is uh, the higher wages. Uh, now, this last summer, um, almost all of us had to make mid-year raises. And those of us who did not uh, probably lost a, a good portion of our employees. 
Okay. And, and uh, the lower the wages, the higher the adjustments that we had to make. Um, yeah. And uh, let's, I mean, let's be honest, we were calling around to each other saying, how much are you raising? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did we do full on collusion? No, I mean, we didn't break the law. No, but I'm sure there's a, there's an element within community where you all recognize that if things need to adjust, how do you keep things from overinflating in a way that would negatively impact your community as well? It's all about yeah. balance, right? Well, and, and let me tell you why they're leaving still. So even though we made those adjustments, mm-hmm. let me tell you why they're leaving. Because if, uh, if you're talking about the total comp package, you know, four or five years ago, why would they leave and, and what was keeping them? Then I'd tell you, hey, you know, the, the shifts that we were making to the, to the, to the healthcare uh, were significant and they still are, right? They, they still are. So offering to the point now where after five years, we've gotten uh, to the point where I can offer free healthcare to employees uh, where, you know, they can earn their deductible back for free and I'm offering free healthcare to employees. That's cool. And that's critical. Um, but then when they say, okay, my wages are competitive, uh, we still have profit sharing on the back on the back side. It's an extra five percent. But but here's the deal: anybody who's under age thirty doesn't really care about what's going into their four hundred one k. True. Where to the the ones who built the program in the first place? That's like super critical, right? Because they're approaching sixty, so it's like that's bonus money. That's huge. But uh, sub thirty, sub thirty five, that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the health insurance, that's generally important, but even then to the lower 20 kids, you know, kids, employees. Um, Not yet. Nice. Yeah. Unless they're having kids, maybe. If they have kids, it's important, but if they don't, big deal. Yeah. Uh, not that big of a deal. They don't care that we're covering like $2,000 a month of value. Right. Big deal. Um, but what's more important? Well, cash is good, but paid time off. Ooh. Mm. That's huge, right? So you come in, welcome to the organization. We're going to give you two weeks off. Wow, that's great. That's great. We're going to give you some sick leave because we have to. Well, I don't get sick. Well, sick leave then becomes an extra week of vacation. Why? Because two weeks ain't going to cut it for vacations. It's not going to thrill me. So, you know, what's the value prop? Well, the value prop is not money. It's, it's, it's not money. And, and you say, well, that's only for the younger generation. No, it's not. It's filtered up because as I get older, well, I see everybody else having fun. I want to have some fun too, because I want to spend time with my grandkids. I want to spend more time out hunting. I want to spend some more time out at the beach. Um, Time is the currency time away time work-life balance. That is the currency. Yeah. And you think that of, all the things, you know, if you've addressed wages, if you've addressed healthcare, then that paid time off is that mm-hmm. next magic button. It goes back to the Dan Pink principle, you know, in his book, Drive. I mean, that's that book's what, 14 years old now. Um, but his concept is pretty good. Uh, and his perspective is like money is the most important thing until it's not. Uh, you know, if, if you're not paid enough, Right. If you can't, if you can't pay the bills, then money's the most important thing. But uh, when that's satisfied, when you're making enough to make ends meet, then money's not the most important thing anymore. Then it's things like autonomy, growth, you know, these types right. that he names his three and it's just off the colors. So sorry, Dan, I can't. Yeah. 
a month of Ukraine. Uh, but to that point, you know, once the base is met and I'm making enough to make ends meet, it's other things. But, you know, employee growth, right? Growth and doesn't have to be promotion, but growth. They have to grow consistently, being able to take care of life, uh, you know, work-life balance, take care of my family, take care of me. That's it. Yeah. I would love to hear your thoughts, creative ways, things that maybe you've considered in helping bring some women back to the workforce who've had to step away um, for caregiving purposes and probably hand in hand that they needed to be more in the front for caregiving and they didn't have an employer who could meet them where they are. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we throw out here too, recognizing there are some employers that don't have flexibility for the purposes of, of what they're doing, you know, what they may be producing in the workplace, but those exceptions aside, what do you think? Well, there are a couple of things that are still going to get in the way of them coming back, um, in, in their traditional capacity, um, maybe more than a couple, but the, the things that come to mind right away, number one, uh, the COVID thing is still going to get in the way because we still have schools that, uh, well, we're on again, we're off again, we're on again, yes. we're off again. And, uh, you know, the kids, you know, the kids have to be home and then they're not, we're going to be online today and then we're not. So that fluidity is going to happen. And, you know, if they're going to be in a traditional role of the nine to five, if you will, which we're not really nine, but if they're in that role, then if you're going to bring them back, they have to have enough fluidity and flexibility to be able to work from home. If they're, if you're going to bring them back Um, and there should be no questions asked, no looking down on them, no exasperation of, okay, I guess if you're, I guess you have to work from home again. It's none of that. It has to be open arms with eyes wide open that that's going to happen if that's what we're going to do. And you need to build the job in a way that's flexible enough to make that happen. So that's, I mean, that's one consideration is, is we have to, we have to create the job that's flexible and create the attitudes around it. So that's one consideration is to, to make it attractive. Uh, number two is if, if, uh, if we're going to do it, they need, they need to have the flexibility. So they're not feeling the pressure because they've got a balance, right? That balance of, I got to take care of the home life and the kids, I got multiple kids and a professional life. That's not easy. That's not easy. You know, I made reference to the four kids under five. Hey, I saw what my, what my wife was doing and uh, she was very supportive of me because I was always running two or three jobs at a time. And, uh, you know, but hey, she was running a bigger job at home and, you know, whatever else she was doing. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So what I recognize is uh, offering part-time, you know, the flexibility of part-time gigs is huge. And so, for example, in my case, my benefit specialist, she is part-time. She's a stay-at-home mom, and uh, but uh, she has her degree. In fact, I just paid for her master's degree uh, to to go do that with uh, with uh, health um, uh, work workplace health focus uh, because she is my benefit specialist. Uh, we have a self-insured plan, pretty complex, and she takes care of it. Um, but uh, recognizing her needs, she's a stay-at-home mom and she works part-time, and, uh, and that's that's one of her needs. On my consulting side, my personal assistant is in the same situation. She was an HR manager before. She had to you know, step out with the pandemic thing. Same thing, work at home. And you know, I, she works for me 30 hours a week. Kids are at school. She does that, but on occasion, the kids are at home, but she works for me 30 hours a week. So I get full professional services from everybody. 
I, I pay them normal wages and I get the same level of service, but I get the flexibility that they need. I need, it all works out for all of us. Yeah. And I, I have heard some really great stories too, from companies who they need people to be on site, but it doesn't necessarily have to be Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. So allowing, you know, the people who do have families and maybe it's not just the moms, maybe it's the dads too, where, you know, moms and dads are saying, okay, we're trying to stagger our work week because things with the kids are so up in the air. So, you know, one parent might be in the office Monday through Wednesday, the other parent might have a Thursday to Saturday or something that definitely probably would not have been on the docket a couple of years ago, but as they've thought about what flexibility meant and what they could really do, that was one way to help meet families where they were at. And I think um, there's probably a lot of those kind of opportunities if, you know, to your point, we really step back and rethink the way that we are approaching people and making our decisions about what it means to change and um, innovate with where we are today. We do that with our engineers. I, I know there are some engineers who are structured a little differently. So they come in pretty early in the morning, um, you know, and structured so that they uh, take over. They tag when mom goes to work a little bit in the afternoon. So that way the dad's there in the afternoon when the kids come home. Um, but that's, uh, you know, they structure it that way. Uh, the other thing that we're trying to balance as well, we recognize that if, if, if our schedule doesn't work for them, they're going to miss a lot of work. And with things like paid FMLA time, paid sick leave, uh, the other time off that we have, there's a huge opportunity for them to miss work and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. And we would love to be in, in a relationship where we can facilitate it rather than having to mitigate it. Mm -hmm. And that mitigation is they're going to do it anyway. And there's nothing I can do about it. And uh, it's impactful because they're just going to drop the bomb and say, I'm gone, I'm gone, I'm gone. And we can't do anything about it because of state law. Um, and it impacts production. It really gets in the way. And it's going to be the darndest time when they do that yeah. versus we're going to work with you. Give us some heads up. It builds a different relationship. They're going to give us a couple of days heads up. Sometimes we can send work home with them. If they're working from there, we can, you know, projects don't get hit negatively. We get things done on time. It's a different relationship. We can still facilitate things. It works differently. Yeah. And I love that approach to facilitating and the partnership with your employees, with your people, because I, I would think that right up there, along with, you know, pay benefits, paid time off. It's just not working somewhere where people treat you like your life isn't really happening and like it doesn't matter. And, you know, what a wonderful way to build relationships with people who work for you that may build a different kind of loyalty as well. No, I got to tell you all these things that we've talked about, because uh, this is where, um, this is where I sometimes get, uh, get the, uh, uh, the feedback well, gee, that sounds great, but my company will never go for this. And I'll tell you this. And then sometimes they'll come into my company and they'll say, well, this isn't the experience that you're telling me that I'm having at Wagstaff because this is not my experience. Like, it's not the company. It's the manager, right? It's okay. That's the other book. That's the other book. That's, 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 that's at my other office. The book All that right. came two years before this is called It's the Manager, also by Gallup. Um, 
highly recommend it. Okay, get that Writing one. Writing it down. It's called It's the Manager. It's a, it's a little, probably about 25 bucks. Highly okay. recommended. So what that one is about, right? That one is about, and it really nails it down to say, it is the manager that is the A number one thing that makes or breaks a company. It Because the, the employee is either going to stick with the manager or they're going to leave primarily because of the manager. What this one talks about is this whole well-being at work is, you know, they, what do successful companies do? And it's centered around these things that create a, a well, you know, they focus on the employee's well-being. And this says, hey, here are the five things to focus on. Um, to, to really concentrate on this. And it still comes down to what does the manager do to take care of the employee? And when it, it's, it's not as much about company policy and it's not about the company this and the company that. It's what does the manager do in his or her relationship and interactions with the individual? How do you talk to them? How do you engage with them? How do you communicate with them? When I, when I interact with you about the uh, expectations, giving you feedback, do I stay in touch with you? Do I have an interpersonal relationship with you? Do I meet with you on a weekly basis? Do I have an open door policy? Do I treat you with respect? When crises come, do I, do I know, do I know your, your wife or your husband's first name? Do I talk to you about your kids? Do I know anything about your dog? You know, yeah. I, I, I don't need to invite you over to my house or be at your house for a picnic because you know, let's maintain the, the professional distance, but do I know what's going on in your life? Yeah. It makes a huge difference. So train those managers. Could that also maybe be a takeaway for employers concerned and rethinking their labor? The, the engagement that we have, right? When the engagement that we have with our employees is the, the number one cause of success or failure. It's also the number one reason why people feel that they need to leap. Am I engaged or disengaged? It all depends on how I feel about my relationship with the company. And when we recognize that the manager is the company to, the, to their employee, then we understand the perspective. You can say, well, it's the CEO, it's the company. No. To, the, to, the, to the employee, him or himself or herself, that direct supervisor, they're the agent of the employer. They represent the company. So if the manager is not passing along information, if they speak poorly about the CEO, or if they're talking smack about this company policy or that company policy, that's going to influence what the employee thinks or feels. And that's going to say, hey, this is where I'm going. So, you know, you talk about what's, you know, the, you know what, where the positivity comes in. Managers need to start talking positively about how things are going. They don't need to lie or misrepresent, but they need to say, hey, isn't it great that, hey, here's how we can all work together to achieve this. Hey, let's all come together to work to do this. And the manager needs to chip in. They need to get their hands dirty to say, how can I help you to be successful? The manager's number one job is getting things done through other people, which means that my job as a manager, if I'm not spending at least a third of my time doing manager stuff, not just doing my to-do list, but providing resources, mm -hmm. getting stuff out of their way, removing roadblocks, um, helping them to achieve success, which is my job then I'm not doing my job. And that's what they need to do. And if one, when they feel that I'm helping them to be successful, they will help me to be successful, which then helps the company be successful. And that's called engagement. Hmm. Engagement indeed. So where might you be next that other HR pros could engage with you? Well, I am going to be, um, let's see, well, the next one's a private, I guess it's a private thing. I got a thing on okay. the ninth, but I think they're doing a 
a free webinar for a thing across the country. Um, but uh, I am uh, I am planning to go to Sherm Talent and to sh the Sherm National Conference. We'll see if they uh, if they say yes to me speaking there. Uh, but I have a couple of webinars that will be coming up here in March and April. Um, you okay. can go to um, optimaltalentdynamics.com and we'll throw a thing out there or uh, wadelarson.com. I'll cross-reference cross-reference the uh, ads out there. And uh, always look me up on LinkedIn. I'm not that hard to find. That's at Dr. Wade Larson and uh, happy to connect. Well, as, as I said in the beginning, I always appreciate your perspective and your thought leadership around this art of people. It is art and certainly some science as well. You combine them both. You have given me, I think, three new books to read in about the last 20 minutes. So thank you for that. You and bet. you heard directly from Wade where you can connect with him. I invite you to follow me on the checkup on YouTube, on iTunes or Spotify, and maybe share with us some of the things that you are hopeful for in 2022. And come along with us as we talk about what we think is going to happen and all of the other market trends and hopeful, optimistic news for the future. Take good care.